These kids are coming out of everywhere up here. Amen. Have fun, Miss Christie. <laughs> Thank you again so much for being here. A couple of things I forgot earlier. One is please remember to pray for Denise Bowens. Uh, she left early this morning going to Haiti, and uh, that's still not a real uh, tremendous place to be right now, uh, but she is making arrangements to, to, to actually fly and not drive through the city, so that is helpful, but pray for her and, and, as she's there. And then also, uh, a good friend of mine, and I know many of you know, uh, Brother uh, Wayne Minner uh, out at Woodlawn, a good, dear friend of mine. He shared with me last night that he listens every service, so I know he's listening this morning. And uh, just wanted to say thank you for the live stream that others are enjoying also, and thank you to those who are listening by live stream. And uh, I appreciate that so much. We've been in a series on uh, overcoming life's obstacles. And as I mentioned this morning, that uh, uh, every preacher worth his salt is trying to figure out what to preach this morning. So I'm going to gear away from overcoming life's obstacles. And yet, as I've prayed about it, honestly, this sermon fits in with overcoming life's obstacles. It might be that if we do this, maybe we wouldn't have as many obstacles to overcome. So I'm going to ask you if you would, turn to Psalm 126, Psalm 126, and we'll read all six verses of this Psalms, Psalm 126, about halfway in your Bible there. You say amen when you got it. Amen. amen. All right. Psalm 126, uh, would you stand please in honor of God's holy inspired inerrant, all-sufficient word. The Bible says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now they're in the middle. Uh, they've been delivered from captivity. If you'll flip over a couple of pages to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. Just a couple of pages over. The Bible says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows of the midst thereof. For they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Father, I pray this morning that you would just bless your word, that God, your Holy Spirit, would have control of everything said, but not only that, you'd have control of everything that's heard. And I pray the message that needs to get across to folks today, wherever they are in their life, that you'll take it and apply it to them. And Lord, we'll see a great harvest at the close of this invitation. 
We're looking forward to you doing great and mighty things because that's the kind of God we've got. We love you. I ask you to speak to us, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In Psalms 137, they're in the middle of captivity, and their captors are there, and they know they've praised the Lord, and they love God and all of that, and they said, hey, y'all who love the Lord so much, sing one of those songs that we love to hear. Go ahead and sing about how great God is now that you're in captivity. Sing about what a wonderful God you've got now that you're here in captivity. And they say, how can we sing such a song in such a strange land? But you see, when you get out of captivity, everything changes. It's a whole different ballgame. When you get to Psalm 126, man, they're ready. They're laughter. They're ready to praise the Lord. Uh, they came out of captivity. I'm thankful this morning that we serve a God who's able to take us from defeat all the way out of captivity to victory. He's a great God, and our God's able to turn that. I, when I think of America today, the fastest growing group in America are the nuns. Now, I'm not talking about the N-U-N nuns. I'm talking about the N-O-N-E-S nuns. None. That's the fastest growing group in America today. They have no belief. They have no God. They have no religion. They have no faith. My heart's burden for America. My heart's burden for these churches, for churches like ours, who are saying, now we're going to stand on the Word of God. But I wonder, in the days ahead, if society has gone down in the next 20 years like it has the last 20 years, how many are still going to be staying here? I'm going to stand on the Word of God. Or how many will have compromised and said, well, it's just too difficult. I'm burdened. I'm burdened because I've got two sons, two lovely daughter-in-laws, four great-grandchildren, wonderful. And I'll tell you, I wonder what kind of land they're going to grow up in. I know God's sovereign. I know God can take care of them. I'm just wondering what kind of church they're going to have to go to, to take their family to. If there's going to be music, and if there's going to be scripture memory, and if there's going to be preaching of the Word of God, I just wonder if the presence of God is still going to be in this place. We've got a big spiritual need, but we've got a God who sits on the throne who can meet any spiritual need we've got. I love that word again. I love it. In verse 1, the Bible says, when the Lord turned again. And down in verse 4, turn again our captivity. Down in verse 6, shall doubtless come again. When I was uh, graduating high school, I can't remember names now, but the music director at Fredonia Hill in Nacogdoches is going to Stephen F. Austin, wrote a song. Do it again, Lord, do it again. Do it again. One of my prayers has been, Lord, do it again. Man, I want to see a revival hit here one more time. Give us one more shot, Lord, to win people to Jesus. And You see, we, we don't need for us to be delivered out of our circumstances. That's what everybody wants. Oh, God, deliver me. Oh, God, make my road easy. What we need is to come to the place 
where the nuns look at us and say, wow, their God has done great things. And then we need to look at ourselves inside. See, the first, their God has done great things for them, comes from the lost people. And then the second one up there, the Lord has done great things in verse 3 for us. He's talking about the church. Some of you have forgotten what God has done. Some of you have gotten over your salvation. You've gotten over your serving God. I did my part. Let somebody else do it now. When the Lord turns, when's it going to happen? Well, I think these last two verses are a key to that. They that sow shall reap in joy. What a blessing that is. Except that's not what the scripture says. Mm -mm. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. I ask you this morning, where are the weepers at? Where are the tears at? Where, where is anybody weeping anymore for anything? And then you go to verse 6. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. The precious seed is the word of God. Shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. See, we want God to wipe away our tears. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. God, I don't want any tears. Lord, I want you to wipe my tears away. I want to be happy. I want to chill out. I want to enjoy life. I want to do this. I want to, Lord, take my tears away. Take them away. What about, now, now listen, Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says there is a time to weep. And I submit to you that if there's ever been a time to weep for America, and to weep for the churches, and to weep for our children and our young people, and the ones coming up in the future, I submit to you now is the time we ought to be weeping. I mean, this church ought to be known that if we don't do anything else, man, we weep. We weep. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm not talking about a shallow ritual. I'm not talking about just weeping for the lost. I'm talking about weeping for God. Does it bother you? That our God, who is holy and above all else, has been literally, I, you know, I, I was just thinking, our kids are in children's church, so you can take this. If we'd have dropped the F-bomb 20 years ago to our parents, most of us in this place would be looking for a set of teeth this morning. Huh? And yet everything you turn on, whether it's the internet, whether it's the television, whether it's the radio, it doesn't make anything you're doing. It's just that same old word over and over again. You ever think the devil's just pounding that in, pounding that in? Listen, young people, if you don't know a different word than that, just, whoo, don't you let me hear you say that. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. I remember many years ago, we were in a prayer meeting, and, and uh, uh, in, in, we used to have them like that all the time. And I was praying with this older preacher, and uh, he, uh, I prayed first, and, and, you know, and then I, I said amen, and I was waiting on him. And I had my head bowed, and I was still waiting on him, and there wasn't anything. And I, I kind of looked up to see what was going on. 
and tears just streaming down his face. And I thought to myself, even as a young preacher, God, don't ever let me get so professional that I become a mechanical. Because I'm going to tell you, that's where most of us are today. We know when to say amen. We know when to get up and pray. We know when to sit down. We know when to go to the music. We know when to take up the offering. We know, we know all of those things. But I ask you, where's the weepers at? Where are those who are weeping? Man, to serve the Lord and never get over what he's done for us. We're a generation that have lost our tears. We think it's not manly to cry. Robert Murray McShane, he died a very young man, tremendous man of God. He said, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a thousand enemies. And then he paused. And he said, but the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Could I tell you this morning, our Lord is in heaven interceding for us. You're sitting here, you thought you came in here on your own. God in heaven above, the Lord's sitting at the right hand of the throne interceding right now for every one of us. When McShane died, people visited that old church. I'd love to still go to Wales and Scotland and see some of those things, but man went in to ask uh, uh, to, to look around and the sexton took him over and showed him where McShane preached and where the people sat and everything and he said well look, the real thing I want to know is where did McShane get his power man a powerful preacher I mean there were times when he was just walking the building and people would just begin to to fall down where did he get his power the old sexton took him back to a little ante room Every old church had one, is off to the side, both sides, and took him back to a little ante room there, and, and uh, there was an old wooden desk sitting in there in one chair. And he said, sit down there, young man, behind that chair. Okay? He said, now, take your elbows and put them on that table, on that desk. And then he said, take your hands, and he said, put your face down in your hands. And then he said, let the tears flow. Because that's how McShane got his victory. I'm asking you today. I mean, come on, guys. We, we've tried parades. We've tried block parties. We've tried uh, scheming. We've tried everything. What, what, wonder what would happen if we went back and just tried tears. If we just went back and said, Lord, I, 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 I want to. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. I, I want to cry over lost people, my children, my grandchildren. Broken, fasting, praying, crying out to God. If we've got more going on for Christianity now than we've ever had before, then why are our expectations so low? I want to tell you, young people, man, I, I may take over. I may be youth director. You're going to learn to memorize two or three scriptures a week. Now, old people can't do that. We can't remember what yesterday was. <laughs> but you kids can, and some of you adults can. 
I'm telling you, we're putting garbage in our minds, and garbage is coming out. It, twice, two different times, he says, the Lord, verse 2, has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. You believe our God is a God of doing great things, and why is everything goes so low today? We go, but there's little rejoicing. We bear precious seed. It's the word of God. But where are the weepers at? We, we preach. But where are the, the, the weepers? We teach. Where are the weepers? We, we organize. We scheme. We strategize. We promote. But where are the weepers? We, we, we got beautiful, glossy tracks, and we've got beautiful buildings and facilities, and we've got social media that's second to none. But where are the weepers? Where are those who are crying out to God? General Booth, the head of the Salvation Army, sent a group of lieutenant and his group out to win this area and have services. And he got a telegram back and he said, General Booth, we've done all we can do. We've preached, we've prayed, we've witnessed, we've worked, we've planned. There's no breakthrough. Nothing's working. Booth has always been a man known for little words. He sent two words back, try tears. Try tears. I, I don't really even have a message this morning. I just, uh, I just have a simple, simple meaning. What if we tried tears enough? What if we got so low in this church that we quit trying to impress one another? What if we got so low that we quit trying to impress the churches down the road or up on the hill. And we just got slow with God. And we realized, God, you're everything. We're nothing. We don't have a thing in here to brag on except Jesus. The grace of God. Could I just give you three quick things here that just stick out in my mind? Number one is weeping has a purpose or a reason. Hmm. Now, I know Baptists don't like to hear it, and we got a big banquet tonight. We can start tomorrow fasting. <laughs> but the purpose is not manward. The purpose is Godward. It, it's to God. You see, if you look under Psalm 126, you'll see a little sign there that says, A Song of Degrees. There were 15 different songs of degrees. This is number seven. And what would happen is Israel was approaching uh, the holy city, the tabernacle. They would begin to sing these songs of degrees. And they'd start with number 15, and then they'd go a little while, do 14, then they'd go a little while. And all of them magnified how great God is and how great God was. And the closer they got, you see, you see, it's like this. The more they went up, the more they went down. The closer they got to the tabernacle, the more they realized, oh, Lord, I need you. The closer they got to the Shekinah glory, they realized God was everything and they were nothing. You see, the whole purpose of it, weeping has a purpose. What is the purpose? that God's heart would become my heart. 
God's heart would become your heart. See, we're not, we're not weeping, we're not praying, we're not advancing so that we can talk God into something. God's God. We're trying to get his heart to become our heart. Not his, no, we're not trying to get my heart to be, get him. No, 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 no. We're, we're advancing. Think about him at a cemetery. He's got two of his closest brothers kneeling and praying, weeping. And he comes in, and he's surrounded by all of these lost people. And as the Bible said, and I think it's one of the sweetest verses in the entire Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. He wept. Now, he wept as a man because he was all man, and yet he was all God. He wept as a man because we have a high priest that knows our feelings and our infirmities. There's nothing you're going to go through that Jesus doesn't already know about. Amen? Yeah. Now, he wept as God, though. I believe God was weeping that day. Why was God weeping that day? Well, it certainly wasn't for Lazarus because he knew what he's fixing to do to him. He looks around him and he sees people in despair in a hopeless condition, lost, and he weeps. Spurgeon said this, when Jesus stood in the midst of all those unbelievers, the Bible doesn't say Jesus thundered a message. The Bible says Jesus wept. He wept. Look at him in Luke chapter 11. He's looking out over a city of Jerusalem. And he's weeping. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how would I have, have gathered you together like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. He's weeping. You know what he's fixing to do after he does that? He puts together a whip, and he goes in and chases the money changers out of the temple. Now, we like that. We like to crack the whip. Tell them like it is, preacher. Tell them like it is. That's why we like you. You tell them like it is. I don't have any business telling anybody like it is until I've been up on the mountain weeping for them. See, when we tell them like it is, like we believe, we end up insulting them. He was praying for them. And then he took in and chase the money changers out. Didn't look at him again. One more spot. He's weeping. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hebrews said that he prayed with strong crying and tears to his father. Sweat becomes as drops of blood and it mingles with his tears. You see, on this first occasion, Jesus was praying for an individual. On the second occasion, he was praying for a city. On the third occasion, he's praying for the whole world. He's praying for me. He's praying for you. We, we want to be like Jesus. Want to be like Jesus. Do we really? Because if we really want to be like Jesus, we're going to have a broken heart much of the time. 
if we really want to be like Jesus, let me just tell you right now, you can't be dignified. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you just got to go with the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be dignified. F.B. Meyer, I love to read his commentaries. He said that for many years, he thought that the more he grew, there'd be a, a, like a library shelf, and God would give him this gift. And then he would grow, and he'd move up a shelf, and God would give him this gift. Then he would grow and move up another shelf, and God would give him those gifts. And the gifts just kept on going as he went on growing and going up the, the shelf. When he became an old man, he wrote a, a pamphlet and said, I've been wrong all my life. What happens is God gives us this gift, and when we lower ourselves down, he gives us another gift. And when we lower ourselves down, he gives us another gift until we're low down where we can get all of God. There's a reason. Let me, let me give you the second thing quickly here. It, it, weeping is individual. Or it's personal. Verse 5 says they. They. Verse 6 says he. You see, God is waiting on brokenness for me. He's waiting on us to plow up the fallow ground so that he can come and minister in us. We're complacent. Our hearts have grown calloused. Uh, Lord, help my unbelief, break my heart. Uh, David is, is, is a, a war king. He's a warrior. He's got bloody hands. And yet the Bible says he's weeping. And many commentaries think he's weeping over the fact that Absalom was taking over the kingdom. That's not what he was weeping over. He was weeping over his son. His son. When Absalom was killed, David continued to weep. I'm just asking ourselves here as, as mature adults, who's going to weep for our young people? Who's going to weep for the college kids that are going to college right now that are being poisoned by many, many college professors to believe you came from a monkey? Believe that the Red Sea isn't really the Red Sea, it's the Sea of Reeds. Don't believe the miracles of the Bible. You, you know why? I, I learned this a long time ago because... Every once in a while, somebody asks me, they'll say, what does that mean when you always say the Bible's a holy, inerrant, uh, uh, all-sufficient Word of God? I said, that means that the Bible is all-sufficient. You want to know what's wrong with us? We don't believe the Bible's good enough to deliver us. We got to have some more signs. We got to have some more things happen to us. We've got to have bigger parties and, and bigger things. It's not enough just to believe the Word of God. We, we've got to know Dr. Phil said it was all right. Weeping is individual. Ours is an age of laughter. Paul said, I've wept you with many tears. Elisha, double portion. Uh, you know, be careful what you pray for because you've got a double portion of tears too. Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. You remember they sent the servant to Elisha. And they said, the king wants to know, is he going to die from this illness? And Elisha says, no, go back and tell the king. He's not going to die from this illness. 
And yet they're out there in the courtyard there, and Elijah's out there, and the servant's out there, and Elijah just begins to weep. And the servant said, why are you weeping? You said the king was not going to die. He said, yeah, but I've looked beyond that, and I know how he's going to die. And I know what it's going to do to the family of God. Mm. We don't know what's going to happen today, what's going to happen tomorrow. See, if, if you haven't seen anything, Elijah looked ahead and he saw. Anybody here seen anything? I mean, have you seen the times change? Do you see that it's not going to be long before Jesus comes again? Do you see that the window of opportunity is getting smaller and smaller and smaller? If you've seen that, my soul, where are the weepers? We ought to be going forth weeping. There's a purpose, there's personal, and then it's powerful. Tears of faith. Look at verse 6. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless Doubtless, come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. John Vassar was a missionary evangelist in the 1800s and uh, did a lot of track ministry and all, too. They called him Uncle John. He was in a revival one, one week, and he was knocking on doors, and he knocked on this door, and this lady came to the door. He said, I'm, I'm Brother John Vassar, and I'm doing the revival down here preaching, and she just slammed the door in his face well he didn't storm off like a lot of us would do I had a guy down in one of my staff well he claimed he was a staff member he wasn't much of one but he visited the hospital and this lady said I don't want to hear nothing he said well just go on and go then and he walked out the room man you can't do that Vassar didn't storm off the porch he walked down to the step and he sat down and began to cry as he left, he was singing the song, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die. And then he got to that verse, But drops of grief can never repay the sin of debt I owe. Wow. On Tuesday night, Vassar said she walked through the back door. He said, I'll never forget that woman. He said, I saw the fire in her eyes. I knew exactly who it was. She walked in the door, and she was saved that night. She sat down on the front row, and Vassar went over. Uncle John went over and sat beside her, and he said, Ma'am, what, 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 what changed your mind? And she said, I couldn't get over the drops of grief. Every time I turned, I thought about the drops of grief, the drops of grief, the drops of grief. Blessed are they that weep now, the Word says, the psalmist said, God puts all our tears in a box, and then he puts them in a book. <laughs> We're going to get to heaven, and every tear we've ever shed is going to be in a book. Now, there's going to come a day when we're going to rejoice around the throne of God. And he's going to wipe those tears away. So I was thinking about this and praying and preaching this morning. I thought, what a shame. How many times I prayed, but there's been no tears. How many times I preached, but there's been no tears. 
How, how many times that we've lived day after day, and I'm thinking, where are the weepers? There's no tears. There's no tears. <laughs> we, uh, I was reminiscing back in the 70s. That was the last kind of semi-awakening when the hippies kind of got right with Jesus. They'd come into the first Baptist churches, and the churches didn't want them. They don't want that kind of people. They don't want that kind of people. And yet they'd experienced a new life with Jesus. And I want to tell you guys, maybe that's where we need to start. But there's no one on the face of this earth that God doesn't love and want. It's not his will any perish. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not thrilled with the way a lot of things look and a lot of things are. <laughs> but I tell you, I, I think maybe we may have thrown out the baby with the bathwater. Evan Roberts in the great Welsh revival. Many of you have heard of him. 1905. God sent a revival to the country of Wales. Started in Evans Church. And uh, he had built the altar. He had laid the wood in order. He had paid the sacrifice. There was nothing to do except wait for the fire to fall. You can always mark this down. People will always go to a fire. Doesn't matter where it is. You're driving down the road and you see a fire. You're going to pull over and go there. You want to see the fire. People always go to a fire. But when you go, go back in history and look, Evan Roberts, when he was 13 years old, made a covenant with God that he would pray every day for revival in Wales until God sent it. He was 26 when God sent it. 13 years, day after day after day, he prayed, oh God, send a revival. There was no revival. Pray, pray, pray. I, I'm just speaking for myself. I want revival. I want the fire to fall. I really do. But I ain't got the altar ready. I haven't laid the wood in order. I haven't paid the ultimate sacrifice. I just know I want the fire. So my question to us today is since we've tried everything else, if we really want to see a revival, you see, I, I don't think revival is going to happen until we do it God's way. If we really want to see revival, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. We really want to see our families saved and our families joined together and our families in heaven for all of eternity. They that sow in tears, he that goeth forth and weepeth. You see, I don't think we can understand the promise of this until first of all, we understand the condition. And the condition is not to sow the condition is to sow in tears. The condition is not just to go. The condition is going forth and weeping. 
when we get the understanding of the principle, I believe God will give us a promise. But I don't think he's going to give us a promise until our hearts are broken and these altars are filled with people weeping and crying for lost people. You know what amazes me? i got to quit. I'm through. <laughs> what amazes me is that there seems to be more now, don't get mad at me. I love, man, we've got a new little dog named Daisy, and I love her to death. But it looks to me like America is probably more concerned over pets and dogs than they are people. I mean, don't you know in that Super Bowl there, and here's this poor-looking little old dog looking at you like that, like that. That's a $7 million commercial. That dog better than all of us. Seven million dollars somebody spent on that. They that go forth bearing precious seed, weeping. Father, uh, this your time. We've waited for it. We've prayed for it. We've agonized over it. Lord, I'd ask you to do your, your will today. Some need to be saved in this building. And I pray there'd be people with tears at this altar praying, oh God, save those that need to be saved. Calling them out one by one. Others in this place need to join this church and say, we want to we be a part of a church that's going to stand on the Word of God, that's going to teach the Word of God. Lord, there's some in this room that just need to come down to this altar and just cry out to you and say, Lord, I've become cold-hearted. I hadn't shed a tear in years. Would you just have your way, Lord? Do as you please. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.